0: So, I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, do you find yourself more of a G20 person, or do you feel like you're more of a BRICS person? So, I have to tell you, I, I asked a good dozen people that question over the last couple of weeks, and most of the time, the answer that I received back was a blank stare, accompanied, of course, by a question in return. What in the world? Luke, what are you even talking about? Pointedly, both the G20 and the BRIC summits are something that most people, especially those of us living in the West, pay little attention to, but maybe we should pay more. For those unfamiliar, the G20 is a forum consisting of leaders from 19 different countries along with the UK, founded in 1999, The summit was formed for the purpose of addressing a broad number of economic issues that posed a threat to the stability of the globe's economy. Since then, the summit has gathered annually, expanding its purposes to include climate issues along with the cause of sustainable development. While the summit has little formal power, it does wield considerable influence given the fact that its adherents represent 80% of the gross world product, 75% of international trade, and 60% of the world's land area. This year, 2023, however, there will be two world leaders ostensibly missing from the table, China's Xi Jinping and Russia's Vladimir Putin. So, where, where will these two be? Of course, they will be attending an alternative summit, one known as the BRICS Summit. Again, for those unfamiliar, the BRICS Summit, founded in 2008, brings together leaders of just five countries, including Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Side note, as of 2024, the summit has invited six additional countries to join their ranks. These include Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. This contingency of nations, as you can tell by just hearing that list of nations, represents a geopolitical rival to the core of G20 nations, including the United States. That said, some might look at the gross product represented by G20 countries and conclude that the BRICS summit does not represent much of a rivalry. However, what should be considered is the fact that by the year 2050, the economies of the BRICS countries will exceed those of the current G20 countries, which is why those living in the West might want to pay attention to what this summit is doing, especially given the absence of Ping and Putin and their growing relationship with another world leader, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. While it might make those of us living in the West a bit uncomfortable, what is taking place on the world scene ...can best be described with two worlds. The words are power shift, which is what makes the ancient words spoken to Daniel in chapter 12 of his prophecy so relevant for us today. In our podcast today, I want to explore a question. Is it possible that the words spoken by Jesus to Daniel centuries ago are descriptive of what we're living through today? Without question... Jesus is speaking to Daniel about a shift in power that will take place in the future, a shift that will threaten, speaking from a worldly view, God's set-aside followers, namely Christians, or those who bear the name of Jesus. Today I want to return to chapter 12 of Daniel, and as we do, I want to raise a couple of questions. Question one, what is the power shift that Jesus is referring to in Daniel chapter 12? Two, what will the shift mean for the invisible church, for the church of Jesus Christ? Question three, what is the real significance of this shift? Look forward to digging into those questions together today. Now, I have to tell you that w- one of the things that really did get me thinking about our topic is an old book written by one of my favorite historians, a man named Francis Schaefer, The title of his book, How Then Shall We Live?, this summer our church did a series of messages based on this title though he wrote it back in the 1980s what makes this book i believe so current is the sweeping overview of history that it offers schaefer as a historian spent his formative years studying a single question what causes great nations nations of power to fall it's a great question and certainly one that never gets old So as we look back over time, we observe the rise and fall of such empires as Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, even Rome. Without question, had any of us lived during those periods of time, those times in which these nations held dominant positions within the geopolitical landscape of planet Earth, we would have questioned anyone that might have even alluded to the fall of our nation. Ancient Persians believed that Persia would go on forever. The same was true of the Babylonians, and certainly those who lived in Rome. Yet all fell. Why? asks Schaefer. Of course, when you look at the old historians' studied observations, it's easy to establish a correlative between the ability of a nation to stay true to its system of beliefs and ethics, and the downturn that begins immediately as a nation moves away from such. There is not a single nation on Schaeffer's list that did not begin to fall the moment it began to turn away from its ethics and its morality. Given this, one cannot help but think about America. Founded on ethics tied to Judeo-Christian worldview, our country has, over the last decade, moved so far away from its moral moorings that it has chosen to follow a deconstructed worldview that allows for almost anything to be deemed moral except, of course, those who judge anyone or anything to be immoral. As one then watches what's happening on the broader geopolitical front, you cannot help but wonder how long before America joins that long list of nations, before it falls from its place of dominance to become a nation that plays only a secondary role on the world front. It seems that power shifts form the backbone of, Of mankind's story. But what is the power shift Jesus is speaking about as he talks to Daniel here in this 12th chapter of this prophecy? I want you to listen to these words. Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. Contextually, remember that Jesus is closing out the prophecy that he's entrusted to Daniel. As we saw last week, the words that he's given the prophet point to a time period well beyond The prophet himself. He, in fact, is taking Daniel to the very last period of history, the period that immediately precedes the Battle of Armageddon and ultimately the resurrection. In our podcast last week, we noted that Jesus describes the activity of men in this period of time as fraught with the seeking of information, information which might lead to gain. If you haven't listened to, Last week's cast, I want to encourage you to, I, lo- I love Jesus' words, Daniel twelve four. He says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Information shall increase. Knowledge shall increase. But one thing will not increase, and that is the knowing of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I, I hear those words, and I look at the way in which more and more our world is becoming obsessed with the power of AI to increase knowledge and thus gain. And I can't help but think about how Jesus is describing to Daniel the very times in which we live now. We're living in an information-rich world that does not recognize Jesus Christ as the only way to eternity. We're there. Now, allow me to add to this the words of Jesus before us today. I should have listened to these words. Continuing his description to Daniel, we read... Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. And dear Lord, we ask that you give us insight as we hear this word. Again, Daniel 12, 7, quote. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. That, of course, is a reference to Jesus. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time and a times and a half a time, and that when, now listen to these words, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're hearing this. Jesus is describing a power shift. I want you to hear the words one more time. Quote, and when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, Then all these things will be finished. Jesus is describing the last times as being marked by a shift. The holy people have power for some period of time, and then a shift occurs, and their power comes to an end. This movement, Jesus is saying, is one more sign that the end is near. So the big question, to what is Jesus referring here? The puzzle to solve becomes, what is the power belonging to God's set-aside people? What is the power that becomes shattered? To gain clarity, I found that it's helpful to identify three things. Number one, what Jesus is not talking about. Number two, what he is talking about. And number three, what it means and why it matters for us today. So let's let's begin with number one, what he's not talking about. When Jesus says that the power of the Holy Ones is shattered, that's an important word to understand. We'll come back to it. Here's what we can know. He's not talking about a time in history when the power of the word is brought to an end. So how how do you know that, Luke? Well, in the Hebrew language, the word used for shattered is the word nefatz. The literal meaning of this term is to smash to pieces. That is, to so thoroughly smash something that you cannot put it back together again. I'm kind of imagining here, this is funny, but for the first time that I broke a glass in my home. I was just a little kid, and there was a, a glass filled with some red Kool-Aid. always has to be red. Just sitting on the table, when I my hand comes sweeping across, hits the glass, and I mean red goes everywhere. I looked at my mom, even her face was red. Bad joke, but Drew, that glass hit the floor and a million pieces, and I felt so Bad. I wanted to crawl under the table and hide. I was trying to grab paper towels. My mom was yelling, don't, you're going to cut yourself. I wanted to pick up the glass. I wanted to get some glue. I wanted to put it to back together. But guess what? Too late. That glass was shattered. It's not going back together again. Now, if that's the definition of the term, the you cannot put it back together again. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been or will there ever be a time in history when the power of the holy people, namely the word of God, becomes so thoroughly smashed that it cannot be restored? Has there ever been a time in human history where the power of the word is so completely shut down that it is irreversibly turned off? Be careful how you answer. Remember with me, Revelation chapter 11 describes the fact that there have been, and may again be times in history, where it appears that the word has been so thoroughly smashed that it has lost its power. Do you remember Revelation 11? In this scripture, there are two witnesses that are described as being at work in the world in such a powerful way that one might say their power cannot be shut down. So we ask... Well, who are these two witnesses? Over the years, conservative theologians have posited that the witnesses, or olive stands described in Revelation 11, are number one, the New Testament, and number two, the Old Testament, i.e., the witnesses are the Word of God. As the Word is proclaimed, it is described as powerful in accord with what we know. The Word of God is the dynamite for salvation. It cannot be stopped, and then it is. It is stopped dead in its tracks. Do you remember how Revelation 11 describes this? Just listen to these words. Revelation 11, verse 7, quote, And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, that's Satan, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. He's killing the two witnesses. The word of God. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. No doubt this is highly symbolic language, but what you cannot miss is the reality that within human history there have been and may well again be times where the enemy of God's church, Satan, Utilizing people, laws, and human institutions actually wars against God's Word to the degree that it is completely shut down. To use the symbolism of Revelation, the Word is conquered and killed, its body lies dead in the street. I want you to try this. Can you think of periods in history where individuals and even governments have been used by our enemy to shut down the power of the Word of God? You might think here about. That period in Russian history, 1840, where Karl Marx acts to shut down the Bible, and we might add, is successful in doing so. Marx and Lenin killed so many Christians, few would argue that from a worldly point of view, the gospel of Jesus Christ lay dead in the street. It was conquered. Or we might think of that period in the history of China, 1949, where Mao Zedong rose up against the word of God. And again. From the perspective of our world, shut the word down. Like Marx and Lenin, he killed literally millions of Christians. And we could continue our list. There have been significant periods in history during which, for all intensive purposes, it looks like the word of God has lost its power. It lied dead in the streets. But was it ever shattered? That is, has there ever been a time when the word is so irreparably shut down that it completely dies? Of course, the answer is no. And in fact, that is what Revelation 11 teaches us. You have to read the rest of the story. Do you remember what Revelation 11 tells us happens after the three days during which the word lay dead in the streets? Here's what it says. Listen carefully. Revelation 11, 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. That is the Old and New Testament, the Word of God. And they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. I I don't think I even need to translate for you. But if I did translate it, here's what my translation would sound like. You cannot keep God's word down. It cannot be stopped and it will not be stopped. Even to that last day when the Lord returns, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word of God. So put this together. When Jesus tells Daniel that there will come a time when the power of the Holy Ones, God's church, will be shattered, here's what we know. He's not talking about a time when the power that belongs to the church, namely the Word of God, is shut down. So what is he talking about? While I don't believe there's a definitive answer to this question, I do believe that some attention and credence ought to be given to those conservative theologians who suggest That what Jesus might be referring to here is best described by the term positional power. Positional power. Is that that familiar to you? Here's what it means. As we look back over the course of human history, are there not times during which the Holy Ones, the church, enjoy a place of position in culture that is favored? A place in which it's able to use the power of the word influentially. Positional power is descriptive of such times. I'm going to use an example that accrues to our Western culture. During the late 1970s, a movement began in American politics. I still remember it. At the time, there were a lot of questions about where education was heading in our country. Was it becoming too liberal? There were questions about people that held political offices. Were they even moral? There were questions about the direction of our country and our country's culture. It seemed to be a time of incredible discord. So what happened? Under the leadership of a Baptist pastor named Jerry Falwell, a movement began. Now, listen to the name that this movement adopted. Do you remember the term moral majority? This is the name the movement adopted. The movement became an organization founded upon the idea that the majority of Americans were sick and tired of the immoral direction to, to many things that were heading in our country. It was time to use the power of this majority to shut down the immoral positions of our culture and politic and to come back to a morality based upon the word. In other words, during the late 1970s, there was a time when the Holy Ones wielded their power positionally to influence the direction of country and culture. That was the late 1970s. Let me ask you this. Does that same position belong to the church today? I'll ask even more simply, do you feel like today you're living in a time where the church is able to use its position to influence our world through the power of the word? I'm going to guess that a big fat no just came out of your mouth, and for good reason. The right answer is no. Today the church is not only a mere shadow of what it used to be positionally, but the church itself has in many ways abandoned the word. It's only power, and in the process it's just become another part of the world simply said it's lost its power as such the question has to be asked has the power of the church been shattered not the power of the word the power of the church it's a really good question and maybe we cannot answer it definitively i don't think we can but but i would observe this i've been doing ministry a long time 40 years and i'll tell you this that without question we are living in the first time in the west where I would say to you that it truly feels as though the power that once belonged to the church positionally seems gone for good. Not because the world has overcome the church, but because in too many places the church has abandoned its true power source, namely the word of God. I believe that's what makes Jesus' words to Daniel so critical for this time. Allow me to close with three questions. Number one. Is it possible that these obscure words in Daniel, the words before us today, actually do describe the times in which we're living right now? Jesus tells Daniel, there will come a time when the power of the Holy Ones is shattered. And I believe if we look around and pay attention, we'll notice that indeed the church has lost its place of power in this culture. It's done it, not not by being overcome. No, Satan and the world cannot overcome the Word of God. But by giving up on the Word, by turning towards the world, by adopting the moralities of our world, the church has shattered itself. Number two, if we are moving into the end time, and certainly Jesus' words to Daniel suggest such, do we as God's holy ones still have power? That's a great question. And the answer can only be, Well, yes, God's holy ones are the invisible church, not the visible, but the invisible. All those who truly believe in Jesus Christ and hold a relationship with him. Their power is not in themselves, but in the word, the word that is the dynamite unto salvation and will be up until the last day when Jesus comes again. And so as God's holy ones hold on to that power. And in fact, that leads to one last question. Is it possible, even, that the loss of positional power on the part of the church is actually a good thing? You know, I'm going to have to answer that question with a big old yes. I, I know, things felt better when the church held a position of power in our culture. On the outside, it looked good. But when the church seeks to wield power not on the basis of the word, but on the basis of its position, on the basis of favor, on the basis of politics or political political movements. The power that it yields is actually not power. It's of the world. I believe that in very real sense what God has done has moved us into this period of time that will indeed lead towards the end. And in this end time, for the church to succeed, it must hold on to only one power. It must hold on to the power of the word through which Jesus Christ continues to speak into this world. And as we do, we will find that we hold on to a power that cannot be shattered. Well, that's all for this week. I, I Again, I really thank you so much for tuning in and being part of this podcast. It means so much to me. I want you to know I will be this week praying for you and your family. I ask that you would do the same Uh, for me and for for my family. Until next week, then, have a God-sized week.